If you had the chance, would you change the world? Welcome. I am your host, Ebony Gustav, and this is Cooperative Journal, where I interview mutual aid initiatives and cooperatives from around the world who are creating alternatives to our current economic system. Understory is a worker-led restaurant, bar, and incubation kitchen in Oakland, California. In collaboration with Oakland Bloom, they center immigrant, working class, and people of color chefs through pathways to leadership, project support and training, and economic opportunities. It is so much more than just a restaurant. They offer a platter of ways to physically and socially nourish the community in a co-creative way. You can experience the roots of the workers through their rotating menu of Filipino, Moroccan, and Mexican cuisine, check out local art, come across a dance party, or support an immigrant or refugee chef at their weekly pop-ups. In this episode, I speak with one of the chefs, Florencio Esquivel, about how Understory is shifting the narrative of who receives support and amplification in the restaurant industry. They share how the pandemic influenced the restaurant's formation, process of assuming responsibilities and navigating decision-making, impact and intention of their worker emergency fund, the importance of preserving indigenous recipes, and their vision for a changed restaurant world that is horizontally structured while honoring the diversity of workers and their lineage. Hi, Florencio. Welcome to the podcast. It's so good to see you again. I had the privilege of visiting Understory when I went to Oakland a couple of weeks ago, and it was such an amazing experience. Uh, the food was so, so good. I can't wait to learn more about the model that you guys have created. Um, yes, I can't wait to explore more with you. Um, it's an interesting project that is evolving, so it's kind of cool to see all these big milestones happening um, as we're working towards, like, building the collective, building the cooperative, um, and just really having the opportunity to talk to you with your vast knowledge of like all of these people around the country um, that you're connecting with. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation. So can you please explain what Understory is and some of the intentions behind its development? Um, Understory is kind of a lot of things. So I'm going to try to put some some of the puzzle pieces together and I hope that it makes sense. Um, I think a good place to start is talking about the foundation of Understory, which we started in like the summer right after the pandemic started. Um, and we started because a lot of us had the availability to work because we had recently been laid off or we had recently had some of our personal projects ended due to the pandemic. So it, I think that the pandemic itself is like one of the major um, like pieces that holds us all together and and brings all of our values together. Uh, it's kind of like our secret fifth men fifth member. Um, not to romanticize the pandemic at all, but it has definitely um, impacted the way we think, the way we function, um, what our trajectory is probably going to look like, and um, it's really the reason why we we got together in the first place. But understory. It's a restaurant, it's a bar in downtown Oakland, California um, on Ohlone land. Um, we are a group of all queer POC who came together. Um, one of, or a couple people had 
they had access to a space that was supposed to become a Southeast Asian lounge, but that project was on permanent halt basically because of the whole shutdown and everything that was happening. Um, the original investors of the project had other businesses that they were trying to keep alive and they no longer could keep the project going. Um, so that's kind of when our current group of people who um, consist of all the worker owners, it's um, four of us right now, but we are expanding. Um, we all got together and we were like, maybe we can try to make this happen. Let's see if we can open a restaurant. Um, let's see what that could even look like. And the, we tried to brainstorm like a bunch of things that could work to honor all of our different backgrounds. But what we decided to do was more of like a collaborative approach that honors um, like the Filipino side of the business, the Moroccan side and the Mexican side. So we all get to cook the food that we love, the food that we grew up with or the food that we want to reconnect with. And we get to do it together um, in a way that really calls in a lot of community support. And um, I think the goal is really just to like tell the story of how we're supporting each other through a really hard time historically when we were all out of work. I personally had no idea how I was going to pay my rent or like I didn't have health insurance. It was very scary time. So I think it is the restaurant, it is a bar, but it's also a mechanism for us to survive. Um, and I think that that's kind of like the main driving force of all of this. Um, but you know, the background in cooking is what keeps us all together. And it's really been fun to explore each other's flavors. And also like, I've been able to strengthen my own cooking this past year and a half since we've been open. Actually, I take that back. It hasn't been a year and a half. It's only been like not even a year, but the pandemic makes everything feel like a lot longer. Um, yeah. Um, the other part of the project is, so we received funding through a nonprofit called Oakland Bloom. Um, they became our partner in this whole undertaking. Um, Oakland Bloom works to create pathways to ownership for refugee and immigrant chefs. And through that, they get, you know, funding and because of our personal connections with that organization, like through community, um, they offered to basically like help us get this project off the ground. And which is really cool because that meant for us, we were gonna get paid for our labor. And um, we also like decided how we wanted to create um, the structure of how we like split up labor, uh, all of the roles and stuff like that. And we collectively decided like, maybe we should have health insurance. Maybe we should have, um, you know, like, like it paid a living wage. Um, so, so understory is very much the restaurant and the bar, but Oakland Bloom has been our partner in terms of funding and getting everything going. Um, and in turn, what we do from the understory labor part is we support the incubation program now that is under the Oakland Bloom umbrella. So I know it's like a lot of entities and it's a lot of like projects all at once, but I think, um, the, the main intention is like, you know, resource redistribution and like sharing resources, um, mutual aid. And I think that when we all decided that like we can all work together the, as understory, as the worker owners, as the, the micro businesses that are being incubated through Oakland Bloom, we've been able to kind of grow this community of people who are just supporting, their, supporting themselves by making food and selling food and telling their stories. Um, so it's kind of hard to say like what it is without this big, long run on sentence. Yeah, it's a multitude of things. And I think that's also what makes it so special. And what I want to learn more about in a bit is uh, the amount of diversity 
that is what encompasses understory and what makes it uh, so unique. And I know that Oakland Bloom is one part of it, but also 8th Street Collective is another partner, um, which is what you started from as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we decided on the name Understory, we kind of just identified um, just for like, you know, needing to have a name. We we're like, all right, 8th Street Collective. That yeah, you know, We're on 8th Street. Let's do it. Um, so that was very much kind of like a placeholder name, but it has a little bit of nostalgia for us um, as well. Because 8th Street Collective was also doing some mutual aid work before Understory had um, became a a worker-owned restaurant, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's actually how I met, that's how I met the folks in this project. And um, they later invited me in. We were just, you know, cooking for folks who are unhoused and trying to like, um, you know, like, uh, I think just re redistribute some of the resources that were coming in and making sure that other folks who are also cooking for people have, have access to those resources. Um, making sure that we had access to those resources in ways that made sense. We would tap into places like Food Shift, which is an organization that will often like, um, they will often have like free veggies, free fruits and stuff uh, that you can use for, for cooking of like mutual aid cooking. So it's kind of a blend of mutual aid work and then a cooperatively owned for-profit business model because you guys really needed this during the time when so many restaurant workers were being unemployed. And uh, I would also love to know about how you feel like understory as its model of worker ownership could have been more sustainable for restaurant workers during the pandemic. Yeah, I think that that's like the other part that we're really trying to, you know, we're trying to figure out what works for us, but also what makes sense in creating a model that maybe could be used in another landscape. Um, so we've been working with a, an organization called East Bay Community Law Center, and they've really helped us like figure out the bylines and like things on the more like bureaucratic, like law end of how to form a cooperative. But the idea is to keep it kind of simple. Um, and to really center the workers. And hopefully, as we're seeing these big shifts right now where, you know, there's a labor shortage. And I think we all know the reason why there's a big labor shortage, especially in like the food industry. Um, our idea is that not only can we create a sustainable model for ourselves, but hopefully it's something that is easy to just kind of put into place with these like mutual aid values and other other shared values around like um, just our politics and our political education here that we're we're continuing to cultivate and um, hopefully it will serve as a model for other people and especially like the idea is to empower BIPOC communities like people who've been historically marginalized um, to really be vocal about the reasons why we're doing this and although it is kind of experimental we're figuring it out as it as we go and as we grow. Um, the idea I think is always going to remain the same to like really create more equity and more visibility in the food industry. Exactly. And to take out that top down structure that is so prevalent in restaurants and can be really intense and overwhelming. I also worked in restaurants and 
I feel like, especially as a lot of restaurants close during the pandemic, that the model that you guys are developing can be really essential because there could be worker-owned conversions. Instead of these restaurants shutting down, they could give ownership to the employees that have been working there and are already invested in it and that generally show the diversity of that community because our restaurant workers are generally um, of the diaspora. Uh, what? So speaking of the differences between like a traditional restaurant and a worker-owned one what do you feel like are the voids that a worker-owned restaurant would fill um I think that's an interesting question I you know I have had a lot of experiences um varying experiences in different restaurant landscapes for the most part working in like a very rigid hierarchy kind of where there's usually like a probably like a cis male or like a white cis male at the top. And then you're seeing all of these people of color who are getting paid almost nothing. Um, and just like the, the exploitation that happens is pretty staggering. Um, so I think that we've all kind of, all of us in the collective right now are all pretty informed in terms of like what that experience is in a personal way. And so I think we're trying to turn that on its head and just be like, okay, how do we have agency? How do we um, honor each other's backgrounds? Like, can we work that into the actual structure of what we're doing? Can we work that into the offerings of what we're putting out there? And so far, I think that it's it's been working out for us. Um, there's still many different things that we need to figure out. But in terms of like the day to day, I think even just like figuring out like, hey, mental health is is a thing. Like maybe we should work in some some mental health days if people need it. Maybe we should work in like all of these different things to really meet the needs of the actual people involved. Um, and I think because we're approaching it collectively and we're figuring it out collectively, we are able to really honor everyone's needs um, while also leaving space for like the potential of like future members, like how are they gonna influence the structure of what we're doing? And, and I think all of what we're doing is really just based on like what are our needs and the needs of our community. Yeah, and the needs of just being a human like taking uh -huh. it out of just being a machine and trying to create profit for a restaurant because also like just turning tables is the premise of restaurants generally and in those types of spaces your mental health isn't honored and some people are working 12-hour days and people are in back of house don't even see sunshine it's mm -hmm. it's so important to implement those things and to honor each other's needs because with that you come into work um passionate and with joy and that that goes into the food as well yeah absolutely and i think um with this cooperative model it's like it's really the all opportunity to cultivate like a long-term relationship and the agency really is an opportunity for people to actually be involved and actually care about what happens on the day-to-day -day and long-term visioning which I think is an opportunity that doesn't come around very often in this industry um, so it's it's been really cool to see those values manifest in like the dishes that we serve or the way we treat our customers or the kinds of events that we want to host and like who we're hosting it for, you know, it's always with the intention of uplifting BIPOC community or um, really just folks who've been marginalized. So we work a lot with refugee and immigrant chefs, which I think is 
so important to informing how we use the space. Um, we also deeply acknowledge that like we were able to open a restaurant during a time that so many other restaurants have been closing down. Um, so it is part of our mission also to really hold space for artists, um, hold space for other folks who are like in transition, maybe they lost a space, maybe they're not yet ready to open their own space, but they still need some practice. They still need access to a kitchen. Um, so we're very much trying to prioritize those relationships and hopefully they will become long-term relationships. Mm, yeah, this uh, brings me to another point that I wanted you to speak more on, which is the inspiration behind the name Understory. And it signifies a diverse ecosystem that blooms underneath rainforest canopies. And you spoke to that um, when you said how much of a shared space it is. So it's not just a restaurant, but it's really um, something that the community can also create. And I would love to know how you guys are creating a collaborative space beyond the things that you spoke about. You said, I know that there's an incubation kitchen and a commissary kitchen and the incubation kitchen is something uh, that is with the open test kitchen, I believe. So mm -hmm. maybe if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah. Um, the open test kitchen right now. So it's, it's under the umbrella of Oakland bloom. Um, but the people supporting it are all of the understory workers. So it's like myself. Um, I'm not sure if you met Janabi, but maybe you did. Um, well, I hope you do in the future because Janabi is great. Um, he does a lot of the curriculum for the open test kitchen. And then the other two chefs who are involved in our project to do a lot of just like kitchen support. Um, we don't have any like specific roles. It's kind of just like whatever is needed. Most we're almost always down to make it happen. Um, so the open test kitchen, it's an annual cohort that we bring, that we invite in and kind of just do an assessment and work on the programming together. But we do an assessment of where each chef is at. Um, to give an example of the chefs that we have, we've had chefs from Bosnia, Hong Kong, Eritrea. Um, right now we have a chef from, well, we have a chef from Cuba and another chef who does uh, Cuban and Palestinian fusion food. Um, so it's pretty incredible. And like the way that the, the curriculum is based is kind of like where their needs are. So some folks have more experience with marketing or maybe they don't have any experience. Um, but I think what makes Oakland Bloom specifically so rare and unique is that a lot of the folks involved in the product don't speak English. Like we'll often have translators um, because they're refugees. Like they may have only been here a short period of time. So while they're trying to get their businesses going, we're, we also acknowledge that they might have childcare needs. They might have caretaker needs. They might have transportation needs. Um, so whatever funding that we have, we really try to address all of the needs uh, not just specific to cooking, but really in just acknowledging that there's so much support that needs to go in to help someone get a business off the ground. Um, and even for them to fully participate in the program, like they might need help with childcare and we're fully understand that and, um, try to make as many accommodations as possible for that. So it's a really like meeting people where they're at mentality. Wow. That's incredible. And so, important for someone that like what you were saying can't even speak the language well because you have un the employees at understory that can help them and they can get the experience of running a restaurant with that support as they start to acclimate to the environment and 
So this is seen through, I believe, Wednesday and Sunday pop-ups, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Wednesdays and pop, uh, when, sorry, Wednesdays and Sundays, we host pop-ups. Um, and generally, like uh, right now during the holidays, we're hosting like some holiday markets where we can feature the Oakland Bloom chefs a little bit more, make sure that they have like a strong start to the new year. Um, it is a, definitely a hard time in the restaurant industry. So we know that trying to get as much money in their pockets before the end of the year is a big priority for us. Um, but yeah, they uh, sometimes they do collaborative pop-ups, which is really fun. And I think it takes the pressure off of each individual chef and they can kind of explore more and get more comfortable with even being in a, in a professional kitchen for the first time or like learning how to light a fryer or whatever it is, learning how to do marketing outreach. Um, I think it's great that they are open to doing collaborations and they're so open to just learning and asking questions. Um, it's been such a rewarding experience to, I mean, I have a lot of experience in the food industry of just kind of like troubleshooting bureaucracy or troubleshooting, like, like creating something that feels sustainable. So it feels so rewarding for me to have my experience be able to be passed on to others. Hmm. So they learn these different skills through skill sharing with the understory worker owners, or do you guys also source from outside to help them through that process? Yeah, we do. Um, we have some partners like Mandela Foods. I think I mentioned them to you. Um, there are a few others that have have uh, offered externships and things of that nature. There's also Reams, which is um, they're based now in San Francisco, uh, but they are also a cooperative that I forgot to mention. But I would love to put you in contact with them. Um, so there, there are some other restaurants and even coffee shops that have offered support. Um, but we, I think right now because of the pandemic, it's really like limited how much stuff people can do. Um, but I think that the opportunities are definitely there whenever the chefs are like ready to do it. And how many chefs are there in the program on a yearly basis? Oh, sure. Um, I think it started with about four chefs who had been in the program for about two and a half years. Um, things had slowed down for them quite a bit with the pandemic and the shutdown. Um, so they graduated, which is great. Um, they're still part of the family. They're still, they still do pop-ups and they still use the kitchen, um, but they're currently, you know, our alumni. Um, and right now we have a current cohort of, I think, four chefs. Yes, four chefs. We started with five or there was like one chef who couldn't fully commit, but is still kind of like involved when they have capacity to do so. Um, so they're kind of like an external arm of the program. Um, but I think that's another thing too. Like we really try to be as accommodating as possible if, and acknowledge like, yeah, if you don't have time, we get it. Um, how can we still also like share these opportunities or keep this, you know, adjust the relationship in a way that makes sense for everybody? Exactly. Yeah, being flexible. And I also thinking of the idea of alumni, do the, or maybe since this is the first time you guys are doing this with Understory, but is the vision to have the alumni also train people that are new to the program to collaborate with them in their process of business development? Yeah, I think so. Um, we have done a little bit like Skillshare. Um, it's actually really great because we have two different Eritrean chefs, um, one from the past cohort and one from the new cohort. So it's great that they have, you know, they have each other, they speak the same language, they have, you know, a similar background. And I just kind of like seeing them like buddy up for, for lack of a better term, or, you know, like feel comfortable with each other. Um, I think it is 
modeled like what a what the future could look like for helping chefs you know feel more comfortable and and have that camaraderie have people really validate your experience you know um but we haven't it hasn't been i'll try to think of some more examples because i i know that there's more happening but i know it's just a lot of like um like we have some chefs that are like great at packaging some chefs that are great at marketing and they often will help each other and tap into each other which i think is great we definitely encourage them to really create um community with each other and to really rely on each other so and so far it's like they're mostly all we have a lot of like moms single moms so i think that there's like that like i don't know connection or or that kind of like I don't know what that is, but it's great. Yeah, yeah, they can find support and security and comfort within each other, especially coming from a foreign country. And maybe they don't know anyone else of their same heritage in the area. And especially to have that support as a single mother, because then they can support each other in taking care of each other's kids, maybe mm -hmm. it's schooling. Um, and yeah, I just love the idea of rotating chefs because you guys offer so many different cuisines on a weekly basis. So it never really can get boring. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I often tell people like, depending on the day you come in, you might get Filipino food. You might get like food from Hong Kong. It really depends. Um, but it will always be delicious and it will always be made with a lot of love and intention and really in the spirit of just being happy that we're here and, and hopefully like on a path to thriving together. Hmm. Yes. And since you started talking about some of the different cuisines um, that reflect the roots of the worker owners, how often does the menu change? And what do you say? What do you think are the greatest influences for the menu? Um, for our understory menu. So understory right now, we are open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, we are hoping to expand our hours. Uh, we are currently looking for a potential fifth member to our collective. So I think that that's really going to open a lot of uh, doors and like capacity bandwidth for us. Um, but right now we're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, originally the idea was that, so we have four people, two of our chefs are um, from the Philippines and they cook together. They cook Filipino, amazing Filipino food together. We have another chef who is, uh, their family is from Morocco. So they cook incredible, delicious Moroccan food. And then I, I have a background in cooking all vegan Mexican food. So that's what I bring to the table. Um, originally we were doing these three week rotations where we would all take turns being like, like do, running the back of house, running the kitchen. And then the other folks were not cooking would run all of the front of house. Um, we realized that that wasn't the most efficient way to keep going. Um, and we really wanted to build capacity towards like hosting more events and really just streamlining like the things we were ordering, um, streamlining our prep process. So now what we've decided is a collaborative menu where any day of the week when you come in, you can try Filipino, Mexican and Moroccan food all together. Um, we have a couple collaborative dishes. Like we did a pickle plate where you can get um, like a Moroccan pickle, a Filipino pickle, and then a Mexican pickle all at once. Um, we have a couple other dishes like that. And then we have some that are just like respective to their, their cuisine of origin. And um, we thought really hard. I mean, we like meet every week and we talk in depth about like, is this cohesive? Does this make sense? Um, so hopefully it makes sense to people. Um, 
if it doesn't, then I don't know. Sorry, but um, not sorry. Um, but it, it, it is like, I think the model of having a collaborative menu that changes seasonally rather than every three weeks is really going to help us keep the project moving forward and feeling sustainable. Um, it also takes a little bit of pressure off of each one of us if we can have like a more stable role in the collective um, and have just kind of like some more stability all around. Yeah, so right now our menu, uh, our current menu is gonna be running until January and then we'll switch it up for springtime. I love that it's seasonal as well because that's just going with the patterns of nature. And so you're able mm -hmm. to source more local foods as well. And um, sometimes it's good to have a little bit of restriction on the creativity so it's not so much pressure to have to push out something new every three weeks as well especially if for instance you're the only person focusing on Mexican cuisine that's a lot for you to do and when you when you guys are uh, cooking your respective cuisines do you also scale share with each other and you guys get to learn the different recipes yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was actually like one of the exciting parts that we were, you know, when we were activating the space, we were like, well, one of the cool things that we get to learn or one of the cool things that we get to do here is we get to learn from each other. We get to get stronger. We get to share recipes. Um, and I think because we, for about the first six months that we were open, we were doing these um, separate rotational menus. I personally had an opportunity to learn a lot of different flavors and to also make my cooking stronger because people were giving me really constructive feedback and offering really great advice. And we all have such varied experience in cooking. Um, I personally have like a lot of more informal pop-up style cooking, um, learning from like YouTube videos or learning from like abuelitas on the street. Um, and some folks have like more fine dining experience. So I think when we put all of those elements together, we are able to strengthen each other's cooking. Um, we're also able to kind of like give a critical analysis of what the food industry lacks and what we can therefore, you know, bring to the table. And I think it's, that's what makes it exciting um, because it's not just like work. It's also like an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow, um, which I probably should have mentioned earlier as one of the components of how we're building the space out. Um, it's very much about, I mean, part of it is political education. Part of it is the Skillshare mindset. Um, and it all kind of comes out of the like more mutual aid value that we have going on. Mm. Yeah, having that opportunity to refine your offerings and to diversify too, because I'm guessing sometimes you'll even add elements from other cuisines into your own. And that is something that is lacking in the food industry. Generally, it is like I was saying earlier, kind of like this monoculture and it's not that diverse. Um, so for me, the menu wasn't confusing at all. Actually, it was hard to decide what to get because there were so many amazing options and there's always plant-based options that are available as well. And, um, and I really love that you guys use the indigenous names of the food that you serve. Like a lot of them I had to look up the ingredient that was in there or the title of the dish. Uh, I personally had 
a Filipino dish called Kari Kari, and it was a vegan version of it, and it was so amazing. It was vegetables stewed in this peanut sauce, and there was, I believe, a black bean and mushroom fermented paste that came along with it that was so, so excellent. Um, and then some of the other dishes I've peeked around and seen was like stuffed lotus leaf and vegan rose water, chocolate pistachio cheesecake, mm-hmm. and pineapple turmeric tapache. Am I saying that right? Tapache? Yes. And uh-huh. I'm guessing you made that one. I that did, yeah. Di- nice, good research. <laughs> yeah, and that was that's this uh, fermented drink from pineapple rinds. And these are just so many things that you don't see at a typical restaurant. Um, so I thought that was so special. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for, um, you know, seeing us, appreciating it. Um, I think sometimes, like, the concern is, like, is this too much? Are people going to understand it? But I think... The people who get it, like they get it. And it is such a rewarding experience, I think, on both sides because, yeah, I think that for too long, the restaurant industry has really, um, you know, exploited the work of the people in the kitchen, but has never like really worked to showcase their cuisine or to showcase the ingredients that remind them of home. Um, so we're really trying to honor that in what we do. We're really trying to honor the people that have come before us who have, you know, their labor has gone into a lot of, Michelin star chefs who get all the credit and um, understory takes a very different approach to how we, how we create food. We do it very much in community. We do it um, very much for the people. And um, yeah, even, even the people that are no longer with us, you know, our ancestors and, um, and also, you know, we want to really honor like the people of, of Ohlone land who are here with us too. And like the indigenous people of California, like we want to figure out ways to bring them in and make it inviting for them. Um, and just really be a part of uplifting like indigenous, um, cuisines that are popping up right now. Cause it seems like more people are, are being spotlighted, which is beautiful. And there's still not enough representation. Um, but we love to, you know, we love any opportunity to really showcase that. Mm, yes. The ancestors are smiling. Yes. Because it's so essential. Like what I was saying earlier to you, um, when I was traveling, I noticed that there was a lack of traditional foods being used in cuisine. It was a lot of Western things that have been imported or brought over by the colonizer. And now that is their staple food. Um, But there's so much more diversity and nutritional value in the food that is from the land. And so preserving these recipes are, it's so, so important. And I also visited, um, Ooh, what's it called? I think Wapache. It's a Ohlone restaurant that opened in Fruitville. Oh, um, I think I know what you're talking about. I also, unfortunately, I don't know the name, but I know it starts with the W. I think it might be a chef who's um, she's from the Kickapoo tribe of of Oklahoma, but recently opened a restaurant in Fruitvale. Mm, yes, I'm gonna find it right now. Yeah, I think it's W A. Um, it's actually on my list to go and eat there this week because I think they just did like a grand opening. Um, yes, they did the weekend I was leaving. Um, oh, nice. 
So I was able to get a mush from there, a blue corn oh, mush. That was really good. Nice. I can't wait to try that. Yeah, you're going to love it. Oh, okay. Not Wapache. Sorry. Wapepa's Kitchen. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah, and they also, I think, are focusing on seasonal ingredients. And there were so many people there. So there's definitely a desire to learn more about native foods. Yeah, I think that as we're having, like, more um, conversations around food and, like, the intersection with colonization and we're learning, you know, like, all of this erasure that has happened and how it corresponds to the way that we have, you know, we have all of these monocrops. We have this kind of, like, whitewashed version of these cuisines. Like, how do we how do, we do the work to really um, preserve these cuisines to also fight colonization, to also, you know, say... Can I swear on the show? Yeah, to say like, fuck you to, to erasure, you know, like um, we're really, I think that there, and this isn't at all unique to understory or at all unique to like Oakland food movement. Um, I think this is an activation that is happening globally and it's really, really cool to see it, to even play a small part in it. But I love that people are having these conversations around um, like food origins, the way that food has really impacted um, communities, generations of communities, like it's, it's such an interesting thing to talk about. And so rarely in the past do people talk about food in that way, at least that I've noticed. Um, so I think it's a more critical analysis around food through the lens of like decolonization or just really having better representation of people who, um, yeah, who are still here and their food is amazing and they should be able to tell their own stories with their own agency and feed their people. Um, and yeah, it's about colonization. Yes. And it's so connected to lineage and that's why they've destroyed food, um, why they've destroyed all these native plants because once you're disconnected from your lineage, you're disconnected from yourself. Um, that's when you are more prone to disease because you're not even eating the food from your land, um, the food that your body has been designed to eat because that's where you're from. And yeah, I'm so excited to see this revolution of people connecting back to food and therefore your, their selves, their ancestry. And another thing that's so special about your menu um, which adds to the accessibility that you guys want to promote is that you have a dish that's sliding scale. So can you speak a little bit about that and why that was so important to have a part of Understory's menu? Um, absolutely. Like, I think that we all have a very firm understanding that people are struggling and like, yes, we also are struggling. Um, I have appreciated many other places having sliding scale items on their menu. Um, so we wanted to really think about something that was a seasonal offering that, you know, you could, you could potentially like pay the suggested donation or you could pay nothing and, or you could pay more if you wanted to really sponsor someone else or make sure that it was a sustainable model. Um, so we originally started doing just each rotation, someone would create a dish that felt like appropriate for that, um, that particular need. And I started doing like a pozole dish, which we actually currently have right now too. Um, but it, whatever the offering is, it will probably change with our next menu. Um, but yeah, we just really wanted to, you know, let people know that, you know, you don't have to spend money to 
have a meal or to come hang out with us. Um, we also want to honor the fact that like we live, or I'm sorry, we don't live there. Although it feels like it sometimes. We, our restaurant is located in an area where there are a lot of unhoused people. Um, the city has done a lot to fuck people's lives up and uh, not take care of the people who are living in curbside communities right now. Um, there's no way to not acknowledge that in how that has informed our approach to things, um, especially like with the mutual aid cooking that we, we have done. Um, so I think we, we really just want to look out for people and I wish we could do more. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to, um, this is really just kind of like a seed that we're planting now, um, just to make sure that people know, like, yeah, you don't have money. It's not, not a huge deal. Um, but yeah, we wanted I don't know. We wanted to just be inclusive. And I think that that means um, acknowledging that people are in different places in their lives or different, de definitely different levels of privilege. Definitely. And also that going to a restaurant shouldn't be a privilege, but that should be something that everyone can experience quality food and food made with love. And speaking of paying it forward, I know that I think this is something that's a part of Oakland Bloom where they have a pay it forward um, model where they have their chefs create dishes for mutual aid groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a collaboration with North Oakland mutual aid. Um, sometimes it's shortened to Noma. Um, but that was, I, I'm not too sure actually on the history of North Oakland mutual aid, but I know that it really got activated during the pandemic. Um, they currently run like a free store. They take donations and they just open it up, I think a couple times a month. And it's like everything from like toiletries to like jackets for wintertime, um, camping supplies, all the things that you could, you know, potentially need for surviving on the streets. Um, so it's very much with the intention of helping curbside communities survive. Um, I'm pretty sure it started during the pandemic, but it there was probably already work being done before that. Um, so North Oakland Mutual Aid has funding, basically, where they can collaborate with Oakland Bloom um, and pay the chefs to cook food for these big distributions once once a month. Sometimes it's more often than once a month, but um, for at least once a month. And the idea is to really create like nutritious, delicious food that is cooked with a lot of flavor and love and really give um, give some support to the people out there. And also, like, it's a great opportunity because the chefs at the same time are also trying to survive in this really bonkers world that's happening out there. Um, so I think it's kind of a perfect partnership in my opinion, because it's helping two groups that really need the support. And I think it, oh, I just wanted to add that it's, um, I think it's kind of a rare opportunity to have a chef who's kind of like trying to figure out their way, you know, breaking into like the food industry, but also having the opportunity to do mutual aid because even just having the opportunity to be in a position where you can give out food for essentially for free or like cook for these communities. Um, I think it's rare. It definitely is not the same model of like, Oh, we're cooking for, for this, you know, for financial gain, um, or like to build this customer base. It's like, actually like the food has nutrition. We need to get it out to the people who need it. And I think just seeing that partnership being built is really beautiful. Mm, yeah, and it creates such a shift in someone's mindset to be a part of a mutual aid uh, action because they aren't just thinking through the lens of profit and um, 
and just creating a business model for a certain niche group, but they're experimenting with their food in so many different demographics. And especially in Oakland, where the homelessness population is, it's it's insane how many encampments there are. So for people to get their basic needs met from the free store and then be able to get free food is so incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Um, also, I want to shout out to the town fridges that have been popping up. Um, do you know, or you probably have town fridges also in New York City. Yeah. Yeah, they call them community fridges out here. Oh, cute. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just like such an interesting way to activate like the neighborhood and really to bring awareness to the fact that like, yeah, bring awareness to your privilege. If you have food, put it out there. It doesn't have to be through a nonprofit. It doesn't have to be through this big organized orchestrated events like it's as small as like cooking some food for your neighbors um, or putting some food into the town fridge or the community fridge exactly and it also creates the shift of the mindset of well why are we even paying for food that's so expensive why can't we have access to quality food and why is it only in elite neighborhoods do people have access to an abundance of food So, yeah, it shifts on both ends of the spectrum from the receiver and the giver. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's one of the beautiful things that has happened through the pandemic, too. It's just people um, redistributing their wealth. And and that's wealth in time and material. Absolutely. I think we are seeing a revolution in how people are thinking about wealth how they're thinking about um, resources, how they're thinking about privilege. And all of these things feel very experimental, but like, I think they're also, they're experimental to like Americans who have had like capitalism this whole time. But I think in other countries, um, like cooperatives are not a new concept and mutual aid is not a new concept. Like these are practices that have been going on for hundreds of years um, for the bare reason of like survival. So I think, um, although sometimes like people will say like, oh, this is a a first like revolutionary act or whatever, but it's not like, it's really just rooted in like indigenous cultures resisting and fighting back and um, taking care of each other. Exactly. That's so important to point out because even this, the term, the solidarity economy, which is what we're essentially talking about is working Uh, in solidarity with each other, building reciprocal relationships, it's something that's inherent within us. And and it shouldn't be something that is looked to as revolutionary, but hopefully just becomes the status quo. Yes. I think if if we don't learn a lot through this pandemic, then, oof, I don't know. Like, we are lost. But I, I do hope that this becomes normalized you know people really reflecting on what they have what they can do um can they do more you know um so i'm hoping that when we see the end of this like this whatever tunnel whatever it is that people really adopt some better values and really think more about being in community yes exactly well i want to shift a little bit to speak about the worker owners and how you guys share roles and what's the process for collective decision making um for so early on we kind of tried to like imagine what collective decision making should look like decision making 
should look like. Um, and I think we took a really formal approach to being like, okay, let's have these like spheres of decision-making. And um, I think it actually is helping us in the long-term figure out like, how do we, how do we structure this big evolving project, you know, that has a lot of, um, that is affected and impacted by like different people or different collaborations, things like that. Um, so right now we have four people. We meet, we have four people and one amazing volunteer um, who helps us with like the admin stuff. And I, and definitely is like a huge part of the collective. Um, but in terms of like the cooking and the day-to-day, -day, it's four of us. Um, and we really just kind of like communicate very well with each other and really honor each other where they're at or where each of us is at. Um, we have definitely like, some of us have different strengths. And I think that we support each other um, in taking on roles that feel appropriate to those strengths. And I, I personally, like, it has been a really big learning curve for me to be not only in this, like, cooperatively run restaurant, but also just during this time that feels, like, impossible to open a restaurant. Um, so I think we've all kind of grown into these bigger roles of being like, oh, I'm going to be a catering manager today. Or, like, I'm, you know, we, none of us have, like, official titles because I think we're not into that. Um, but we... I think for me, like I ask for support when I need it. It's always there. Um, I'm also pretty much always down if I have the bandwidth to jump in on a project. Um, I think that it's really just us kind of like getting to know each other and knowing each other's strengths, knowing um, how to really advocate for each other and for ourselves, which has also been a long process, you know, getting to know each other and trusting each other. Um, I think because we met each other doing this mutual aid work, it already kind of felt like a good fit and a good like alignment of values. So there's kind of like a trust already built in. Um, but yeah, we've, I mean, for me personally, like over the summer, my house burnt down and that was a huge traumatic event for me. But like, I knew that the collective had my back. I knew that I was going to have a job waiting for me when I was ready. Um, folks did fundraising for me while I was gone. So I could get paid while I was not able to work. Um, so I mean, that doesn't really speak much to the roles, but I think it speaks more to just kind of our general values and how we approach, um, like how we approach what we, how we want to implement our values basically. Um, and so I think because we are all kind of like on the same page around that, a lot of us have done abolition work or like organizing work in the past. So I think we, we bring that to the table and we also bring, um, just kind of like the needs of our personal communities to the table. So I think we're just really good at honoring those identities and honoring those strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think it's probably just the trust element that is helping us work through these decisions that are kind of hard sometimes. Um, so I would say like on the bigger picture of decision-making, we have done like visioning together, which feels really good. Um, we have set goals for, for the project that feels really good. I think we've done an excellent job of really communicating like what are our values and how do we really stick to that and really implement things that feel like they are in alignment with our values. Um, and I think for like the roles on the day-to-day, -day, it kind of shifts like with where we're at. For example, like, um, like we have one person who is like always kind of been in a role of like a kitchen manager at different places and he's happy to take on kind of that role in the kitchen. And, um, for me personally, I have like, I have kitchen experience, but I really enjoy talking to people. I really enjoy being front of house more. Um, so I think that we've kind of figured out like 
the places where we feel happiest and the places where we feel, you know, like, like we can really shine and it kind of is just working out in, in that it, it makes sense for the whole collect for the whole restaurant. Um, I think things will shift as we bring in more people. Um, but I think it's also an opportunity for us to kind of explore other roles as well. I love how fluid it is and non-restrictive. Um, and it's so important to build that foundation now before you start to branch out and take on more worker owners. And I think that the shared values are so important to have when going into um a cooperative business because you always come back to that. When you're making decisions, you always come back to, well, well, does this decision align with our values? Even if maybe there's conflict in opinions, you guys can come to common ground in the shared value system. Um, and being vulnerable too, because once you can start to be vulnerable with each other, then you're able to build that trust and have that open communication so that when there is support that you need in your life at that time, you're there for each other. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, and it's weird. It's like, I really didn't expect to have this kind of environment or I, did, I didn't know what to, how, how this project was going to grow, what kind of um, things we were going to be capable of together, but it feels consistently and just like exponentially so rewarding that all of us are kind of honored in, in what we need, what, what ways we want to grow. And it is like you're saying, like we have that, that, um, that like continuous thread of like, does this honor our values? Does this honor the reason why we're showing up every day for this project? Um, so it's, it's really cool. I would say that like for any collective, um, what I've learned is that having shared values is like a huge, just like compass and figuring things out, navigating. It really, um, I think it helps in terms of like when we are ready to bring in another member, like, you know, do they, does this work for them? Is this space going to work for them? Do these values make sense? Um, because they are the values that have been sustainable for so far and really represent like all of us and the communities that we come from. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that we would be in the position that we are if we weren't also like, um, I don't know, connected to community and really just having a background in organizing work. And um, yeah, I don't know what more I could say. Yeah, I think the abolitionists and community organizing work really helps as well because you're grounded in that and um and it also helps in when you guys are dealing with your own personal issues like your house fire which I'm so sorry you had to deal with that but also um I'm sure you're so grateful that you were in this work position that you're in um to have that support because I know that um, there is a worker emergency fund that Understory offers and you were able to utilize that um, when you were going through hard times. Can yeah. Can you speak um, a little bit more about the fund and how that works? Yeah, the fund was created in direct response to um, what I experienced over the summer, the fire. Um, I think people were like, I think folks would have wanted me to get paid from 
understory money, but we don't really have a lot of money. So we did some fundraising. Well, I didn't do anything, but the folks in the collective on my behalf did some fundraising um, to ask the community to support this worker fund. Um, because like, yeah, emergencies happen. Like some of us, a lot of people in this country are like, you know, one medical bill away from being like on the streets. Like um, we very much acknowledge that there's a lot of fragility in survival, especially like late stage capitalism. Like it's hard out there. Um, so I think that it's, we definitely want to have some kind of fun. I don't think it's limited just to us either. Like it's really wanting to use our platform that we're building as a mechanism to support each other. Even if that means, um, you know, like, like direct funds for surviving. Um, so the idea of the fund is that it did help me get paid for those, uh, for like a month that I wasn't able to work, which was amazing and super supportive and helped me like move into a new place and replace some of my possess possessions. Um, and really just like have the time to heal and process. And the idea is that the next time that we have a worker or someone close in our community who needs, you know, a little bit of cushion to get from point A to point B, like we want to be there for them. Um, and we also, the way that that fund works is we, we invite community to, to support that. Um, so it's not actually coming through, currently it's not coming through like understory revenue. Um, it's more of just us using our platform and our voice to ask community to support it. So it's eventually going to evolve into like a community relief fund as well. Exactly. Mm, I love that. And yeah, again, speaking of privilege, it's like using the privilege and the networks that Understory has to uplift somebody that's in need. Definitely. And what would you say are some of the challenges of being a worker-owned restaurant that you experience? Um, I, I mean, there are many. I think for us, it feels very much like we are in uncharted waters sometimes. It's like we don't have a lot of similar models that we can look to for support as we're trying to navigate these things um, because of our partnership with Oakland Bloom, which is a nonprofit and us as like worker owners, like it's kind of hard to even explain what we're doing, much less um, like on a legal front, like even figuring out how to legally, you know, uh, manifest the, found, the foundation of what we're doing has been kind of challenging. Like we've been going back and forth to figure out how does this make sense? Like, do we want to be like an S corporation? Do we want to be like, um, like all these different entities? bureaucratic government entities like how do we want to do this so I think that kind of like the red tape part has been really hard um fundraising so we can like buy equity or to attain equity um is another challenge that we've you know had to work at um I think in terms so I mean that's kind of like the bureaucratic and like the financial side but I think in terms of like day-to-day our group being so small, um, there is a lot of trust there. And I think that that works to our, definitely to our benefit, but it's also like, if one of us is out for an emergency or out for, you know, whatever reason, like it can kind of throw things off a little bit. So I think our group being on the smaller side right now is we're beginning to grow has been a challenge. Um, hmm. There are probably some other challenges. It is hard. Um, I think, yeah, just, having, I think being in any position where you're really taking a project off the ground is stressful where you're like, I don't know if we are going to make it to next year. I don't know if we are um, going to be able to like grow in the ways that we want to. Um, 
we've been kind of having a wake up call as it's been getting colder for us. And we're seeing our sales go down a little bit and we're trying to think like, oh, all right, we got to like put more, put more energy into catering or put more energy elsewhere. Um, so really just kind of like the first year of starting this project in and of itself is a challenge. Um, I think because I think the cooperative element is actually to our benefit as we're figuring this out because we are able to bring a variety of, of different experiences to the table and um, to really kind of like see which which of those experiences are or like I don't know potential troubleshooting is going to help us um so I, I think that there's a strength in that actually but I think overall like it can be challenging to have to spend you know two and a half hours a week meeting to talk about xyz you know um but at the same time it's like what builds more intention and what builds more trust within each other so it's hard to say <laughs> They're like challenges, but it's like challenges that come with growing um, and challenges that come with like four different minds or like five different minds really focusing on how to solve a problem, which I think is actually really great. Yeah, I think it's really amazing coming from a traditional business model to be able to uh, be in community with each other and make decisions with each other, even Though I'm sure in the moment, it's like, wow, this is taking extra time and compromising with each other is can be difficult sometimes. But uh, it does, I'm sure, help that it's a smaller group. And it's also difficult when you're like essentially pioneering a model. Like there's not many. I think there are a couple worker-owned restaurants in Oakland, but generally there aren't like in new york city there is not any and you know of one that's in a conversion right now but um having that opportunity to do some peer-to-peer learning with a model that's similar to yours is so essential when you're figuring out the kinks of it all absolutely and there are so many um just weird things to learn about like i had no idea how like shares work or like patronage works um things like that and like to be honest i'm still learning a lot about just kind of like that element of how cooperatives can work or should work um but and i think it'll more things will come up that are like that but um for the most part it's been kind of just a really great opportunity to learn about these things and i've always been interested in even like when I was younger, I felt like the word cooperative, I don't even think I knew what it fully meant, but I like, I felt like I wanted to be a part of one. Um, so it's been cool to have this opportunity where I'm actually like learning in real time with real experience, how, how to form a cooperative. I never really saw that I could be in this position. And, um, I definitely have, you know, like the folks in the other folks who are involved are like, doing a lot of legwork to reach out to attorneys, like movement lawyers who can really help us with um, like a lens of like more, um, yeah, wanting to do this for like the political reasons, not just like a financial gain reason. Um, so I feel so lucky to have this opportunity to learn about this model with really a lot of intention and really just like wanting to empower, like empower us, empower other BIPOC chefs and, and culinary people. Um, it is, it's so special to me. Yeah, and that's my intention with Cooperative Journal as well is to highlight these stories so that other people can feel empowered and inspired and reach out and know that they can do it as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I literally like knew nothing going into this. Um, I'm learning every single day how to make this work. Um, and I, it's also an opportunity for us to inform what other cooperatives could look like, you know, because like you're saying, there aren't that many, um, at least formally. I think that there are a ton of informal projects. Um, but I think when we're thinking more like formal, like public facing, um, there aren't that many. So and especially like that are really trying to like focus on like POC. Um, so it is really cool to be a part of the process of even just like exploring, informing, sharing, modeling. It's cool. What advice would you give to an individual or a group that's interested in creating a worker-owned restaurant? I would probably say it's going to feel overwhelming for sure. Um, I think that what has helped us kind of anchor and ground ourselves is really the shared, the shared values part of our project. Um, I would say really having a firm understanding of like where people are at and really practicing like some radical honesty has for me at least has, has really helped me just stay afloat during this whole process. Um, for me, it's been a lot of learning as we go. It's been a lot of just kind of, like managing uncertainty. Um, so I think what has helped me is just like asking questions, trying to keep an open mind, really showing up for the work because it has been a lot of hard work, but there's so much reward involved in it. Um, and I do like, I want to acknowledge that like I, I was unemployed when we started this. So I had time to, to explore these things. Um, it is really hard if you're holding down like a full-time job or a, a part-time job or you have kids or, you know, you're a caretaker. So um, I want to acknowledge that I had the privilege of just like having time. So I would say for folks trying to get this off the ground, like do some research, try to connect with other cooperatives, try to see who's open to doing some resource, resource sharing or some like peer to peer skill share. Um, I think that we're seeing like more people involved or like more organizations who are trying to incubate and activate cooperatives. So I think if that's a resource in your area, like tap into that. Um, right now we're seeing so many people collect, connecting online or through Zoom. Um, I wish I had like a better knowledge of like, like these foundations that are trying to help people. Um, but I know that they're, they're out there. So I hope that people find them. Um, and yeah, I think as the landscape starts to change, like um, having agency and what you do for a living is so rewarding. It's hard. It can like, really be a lot on the mental health sometimes but if you really like um i think practice like some radical honesty and are checking in with the people that you're working with um i think that there's a lot to discover and a lot that can feel really rewarding and also like an opportunity to like model for your neighborhood or your community like th this is this cooperative model is like it doesn't need to be in the hands of like an elite few it can be for everybody. And I think um, while we're trying to, while all of these different cooperatives are trying to form their models, like I think just being open and sharing skills is also a great thing to do because we're all just trying to figure it out. Um, and I think it's like, you know, capitalism is like taking over the entire world. It is something we all have to actively fight against. Um, and I think for me, this is kind of a way that I've found an outlet for that that feels intentional um and it's also like i'm so grateful that it's helping me like just survive yes there's so much there can be so much stability in a cooperative model 
especially as we're dealing with so much volatility in the world. And like you were saying, capitalism at this point is affecting everyone. And so what is a tangible solution to that? And how can we create business models that reflect that? Because workers are going on strike. They're fed up. They want to envision something else. And I think cooperatives is really something that can fulfill their needs. Um, and so what's the future vision for Understory? Ooh, um, I think that's an excellent question. You know, I think that the future vision is like, eventually, I think the folks, the the founding members of this group, I think we want to go on and, you know, like create more space for other people by eventually leaving the collective. Um, I think that we are kind of seeing this model as a way to incubate our own businesses, like down the line. Um, or, you know, like some of us might want to keep, keep um, activating new cooperatives with what we've learned. So I think the idea is really just to like learn from this experience, cultivate what we've learned, um, grow in the ways that we need to as individuals, um, knowing that we have set up something that feels pretty solid, uh, that will always prioritize BIPOC people um, with a food, interest in food, and I think we know that that's going to change hands at some point because like, um, because yeah, those, those opportunities need to be there for other people. So I think as we start to grow as individuals, um, make, making sure that, you know, it's like the whole thing about freedom. It's like, if you're free, you got to free someone else. So I think that that's kind of what the long-term kind of looks like, um, for the kind of like, maybe like future, like near future. Um, it's hard to say. I think we really just want to be a place that is like a safe space for queer and trans people, a safe space for refugee and immigrant chefs, like inclusive, a lot of visibility. Um, especially right now while we're considering like new candidates for the collective, like we want to make sure we have more visibility of like everybody um, and more representation. So I think building that out, um, continuing like our community partnerships and growing those and really just like trying to be a voice that activates other other models like this or or even like just sheds light on what's happening in the restaurant industry. Like, you know, why why are there these labor shortages like start a union, start a cooperative. Um, so if we can be a vehicle that sheds light on that, I think that that's like the short term of what we really want to focus on. The restaurant and the food is definitely like a big priority, but I think that we also have to honor the fact that this is a model for us to um, survive in the world and to, you know, sharpen our skills and also to like work in a way that invites in not only community, but also an abundance mindset. Um, and there's so much healing in that that can happen. Um, so I think it's a little, it's hard to say because there's so many moving parts to this project. It's hard to say like if Oakland Bloom is going to take on more with like the incubation kitchen. Um, there's the potential for them to get more funding and to have more equipment or to have more um, to have more folks supporting the curriculum, things like that. So if, if that happens, that's awesome. That might, you know, that might be more of the focus. Um, if we decide as, as a cooperative that we want to like go in a different direction, then that might be what happens also. But I think it's kind of hard to say because there's just so many so many voices involved, um, even though it is just a few of us, but it is, um, we all have big dreams, big ideas. And I think that 
I think that is also like kind of unclear what's going to happen with the state of the world. Like, because we are building this mechanism that is very much like wanting to uh, like show up in times of like emergency response. Like we might have to like shift our resources in a way that's like, maybe we're not a restaurant anymore. Maybe we are like just mutual aid. Maybe we are just an incubator. Um, so I think it really is going to depend and be informed by like the state of the world, what happens with the pandemic, what happens with this capitalism bullshit. Um, mm. And just like, what are the needs of our community? Cause I think that that is always going to kind of supersede us as a restaurant. Mm. Um, so we shall see. Yeah. That's why I also think that cooperatives are so resilient because they can adapt to the changes and the needs of their immediate community. And I envision you guys maybe even having the open test kitchen um, alumni, maybe they do a trial. Mm-hmm. If the if the worker owners and the current worker owners are no longer there, maybe they do a trial in creating their own worker owned restaurant and maybe they do that for a year and then it rotates every time there's a new uh, alumni for the incubation program because I think I was reading that you guys also want to offer ownership shares to the immigrant and refugee chefs. Absolutely. Yeah, that is um from day one has kind of been like when they're when those chefs are ready, um, there's always going to be an open door for them. If they um, they all, all of the chefs in the cohort are incredibly talented, like they're working these amazing jobs or they have these amazing like micro businesses that are working for them. Um, and like I said, a lot of them are, are moms, single moms. So like there is that need for like being there for their young kids. Um, but I think that when when those chefs are ready or if like things don't work out with their current employment or their current you know, if, if it's too much for them to have like their own business, um, there's always going to be an open door for them. And the idea is that like, if they want to shadow us or come in and learn any day of the week, like it's, it's always pretty much like an open invitation and they do drop in, which is really great. We do a lot of collaborations, which is always awesome. I love that. Yeah. I would love to see you guys consulting with, um, BIPOC led and immigrant led, uh, potential worker-owned restaurants. We need more of those. We need more worker-owned restaurants, but specifically diversified ones uh, where people can really let their roots shine. And so speaking of the future, this is my last broader future question of how you envision a changed restaurant world. Oh, wow. Wow. I think we are, you know, I feel really privileged in that we are seeing changes right now. Um, I think because, you know, I, in Oakland, um, like there's so much diversity in Oakland. There are so many different kinds of models, different kinds of restaurants. Um, I think that right now we're seeing not so much worker owners, but like diversity of food and people intentionally supporting those businesses, not just because the food is great, but because we need to support people in surviving. So I think the mindset around how to support small businesses or the mindset and how to support um, these restaurants that are immigrant owned or refugee owned, like is already kind of like seeding something that is going to grow over time. Um, I think that we're having more critical conversations around like, why are all the accolades that only given to white men or like, you know, Um, I think there's more analysis around like how exploitation in kitchens 
is going down. And I think that as we're talking about it more, the culture is shifting and it's cool to, I mean, it has been accelerated definitely by the pandemic and we're seeing like major layoffs, things like that. Now we're seeing these major labor shortages. So I think as people are having more dialogue on the side of consumers, there's been a shift and also on the side of, um, you know, trying trying new models that are not rooted so much in traditional hierarchical um, kitchen spaces or kitchen landscapes um, are really what we want to do is call it out and, you know, and also call it in, but um, to really just bring awareness and attention that um, the years and years and years of exploitation and abuse are just like, it's been too much. Um, so anything we can do to really like talk about it, um, to empower chefs to have more agency. Um, it's something that we are really passionate about. Um, I'm not too sure. Like, I think that there's such an interesting movement right now with food justice that is really re reimagining the landscape of food as well. So I think as people are learning more about like, you know, seasonal food or really like supporting BIPOC farmers, like there's a whole movement happening right now of like black farmers and indigenous farmers and people having land again, um, or, you know, even just like the inequity with land ownership and stewardship. So I think those conversations are hopefully, I feel like it's pretty slow progress, but hopefully going to lead to some, some major impacts that are going to help some communities, um, and to heal some like generational, like just, um, inequities and trauma and I don't know if we'll ever be in a place where like things feel fully just when it comes to food but I do see that some work is being done and it feels really refreshing um so I don't know I'm I'm hopeful that this pandemic again like um sorry to bring up the pandemic like every five minutes but I hope that people are learning through this just shit show of a weird historical time like how to really show up for people how to be better consumers and really to take the consumer aspect out of it and actually just be like, how can I support people? Um, so I think, yeah, just reimagining what, what that relationship can even look like is going to, is going to take us pretty far. Mm, thank you so much for that. I, I too think that the pandemic has really just like accelerated the shift. Um, and like you said, it's not happening fast enough and not enough, but it's definitely creating more of a sense of food sovereignty and that sovereignty of like where we get our food from, how workers are treated and their own agency in the workplace. And I do hope that there is more sourcing and more access to land for indigenous and black farmers um, and that restaurant models shift from just using the same purveyors and that they really seek what is local to them and seasonal like what you guys are doing and so thank you so much for sharing all of this education behind it and also living it every day oh thank you thanks for the opportunity to explore um Thank you for like the validation and even just like seeing and appreciating what we're doing and like big thank you for like uplifting these other models that are happening um, and just contributing to, to the awareness and the growth of these models that are, are changing people's lives and like really are going to shift culture. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. 
I'm on a mission to get these little known solutions out to as many people as possible. So please help me by sharing, leaving a like, and a review. If you would like to stay in the loop about future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast or my newsletter at cooperativejournal.com. Because I didn't say save the world, I said change the world, improve it, make it better than we find it.